0: In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into the camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. He is the Athletics Jesse Temple. We're back to do uh essentially what is a spring recap. We're going to be breaking down Jesse's depth chart, the offensive and defensive sides. Uh, we'll get into a few other things as well, including a guy being arrested. Don't have a ton of information on that still. So we're going to probably uh, tread lightly on it, but uh, we will talk about it. But I think Jesse is probably safe to start or should start with the decision by Marshall Howe to enter the transfer portal. He, Obviously came in as a walk on last year, and we didn't really hear much about him, and didn't think much about him at all heading into the spring, especially after they bring in Tanner Mordecai, and Nick Evers, and Brayden Locke, and then you obviously have uh, Miles Burkett returning. He he was an afterthought, to be fair. Uh, Even Lecole crew got more of thought than Marshall Howe did, and all he did in spring was essentially. And I know again, Phil Longo's not talking about number three quarterbacks and. Who is that number three? But he had to establish himself as a number three quarterback for the Badgers. And he has decided to enter the transfer portal. and it was for a variety of reasons. And we know this because you were able to talk with him and did an exit interview with him yesterday. I'd like you to just uh, give us a bit of an idea why Marshall Howe no longer is in Madison.
1: Well, spring practice, I think, was pretty eye-opening for everybody, as you said, but also for him. And the natural inclination and in my first thought was, well, Here's a guy who's a walk-on, obviously not going to earn a scholarship at Wisconsin in the near future. We know how tight things are in terms of Wisconsin managing its 85-player scholarship limit. They just brought in three transfers on scholarship, have Cole LaCruz sign. Miles Burkett is still there in the same class as Howe, but he said that that was certainly a part of it. What he realized while going through spring ball was that was the first opportunity that he had since he came to Wisconsin to really earn extensive reps in Wisconsin's offense because last season he was the scout team quarterback. So he was running other people's offenses and he just missed that feeling of being able to earn significant snaps. And I think what he showed in the spring is there is going to be a place for him somewhere out there. I don't ultimately know what level, what conference that's going to be, but I think there's a school that would be willing to offer a scholarship to him in some capacity and give him a better opportunity to play. Um, And I mean, what he was able to do in the spring is outstanding. Like you said, nobody was discussing him. And by the end, he was the third quarterback. He had passed two scholarship quarterbacks based on his knowledge of the playbook and ability to execute out there. So while the scholarship and wanting to have that opportunity was a part of it, he realizes, and this is what he's told me that you only get so much time as a college football player he just wants to explore those options and maximize the time that he has left playing and I think he'll be able to land somewhere because he's a very talented quarterback and his story in general was pretty unique he's from the LA area he his junior year was wrecked because of COVID and he ended up taking an extra year at a prep school at uh, in Connecticut and had a really good year and got some walk-on opportunities at Division I schools. Wisconsin was one of them, but his only two scholarship offers were FCS schools. I believe it was Davidson and Eastern Illinois. I think what he's done should give him an opportunity somewhere. Where do you think that might be? It's really hard to know. I mean, I'm not uh, a coach or a recruiting evaluator who sees where uh, the scholarship needs are. Certainly, if he had a couple FCS offers, Uh, even before this he's a he's a better quarterback now Um, that seems like a reasonable landing spot but I don't want to discount Marshall because um, of what he was able to show in the spring it's just hard right now as we know because scholarships are, are filling up that portal window closed on April 30th and people really have to evaluate their positions of need so I'm it's hard to say where he'll end up but he certainly earned the right and opportunity to to go play somewhere
0: you think they'll give him his practice tape to give to people?
1: I hope so. <laughs> I no, mean, you know, it was it was a joke. Um, obviously,
0: <laughs> with uh, what happened out at uh, Colorado, where there was this this all big thing that Dion wouldn't give them these all these guys that they told them to leave wouldn't give them their practice tape to get to send to other teams. Um, so <laughs> I'm I'm assuming Wisconsin will help them out there. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And, and I think that's another thing. Marshall had nothing but positive things to say about Phil Longo and Luke Fickle. And granted, I, I'll be honest with Insight Baseball. So whenever a kid leaves, generally speaking, I try to reach out to him and most of them don't want to talk to me or don't want to return my call. And the ones that do are probably doing so because either there's something significant, they really want to get off their chest, or they had a really good experience and, and Marshall fell into the latter category. And he said, his conversations with, with Phil Longo and Luke Fickle actually made it harder for him to, to make this decision. And, and uh, I, I should also go back and say that um, while he was thinking about what was next for him or what could where he stood when they decided to bring in three transfer quarterbacks, it wasn't until after spring practice ended that he, he felt he was ready to make this decision. He said he went and talked to Phil Longo in person on Thursday just to ask for his thoughts. And then on Friday, he ultimately made that decision but Longo was extremely complimentary of him. Um, And uh, the thing that Marshall said he would take away the most is Longo said, I recruited these three transfer quarterbacks to come in, had a good idea of who they were. He recruited a couple of them way back when they were in high school. He didn't know anything about Marshall. And so Marshall came in and and really impressed him. And um, so that was part of this too, that made it harder for Marshall is just, the, the complimentary things that both coaches had to say and uh so he leaves on very positive terms it's just a matter of wanting to have an opportunity to go play somewhere and you you certainly can't fault the guy for for wanting to have that chance when it, it feels like he's he's earned that opportunity somewhere
0: yeah it it feels like a scholarship somewhere we'll we'll see exactly what level that is at but i think it's good for him i'll say that i think it's good for him and now obviously it leaves Wisconsin I, I don't want to say I don't want to say like weakened, but cause it's a third quarterback and and hopefully you're not having to get down that far. But it certainly says, hey, Miles Burkett and Nick Evers and even Cole Crew, there's still something to fight for. And um not that there wouldn't have been anyways, but
1: taking Marshall Hot of the equation, I think, helps the younger those younger guys for sure. Well, based on everything we saw in the spring. It really wasn't all that close between How and the rest of the pack, which was just Miles and Nick Evers in terms of the reps that we saw. Now, I'm not saying they don't have, you know, Miles doesn't have knowledge of the playbook, and there were times, especially at toward the end of the spring, where Miles was getting more opportunities. So maybe this is his chance to to break through and and take that number three spot. We've talked before about Nick and the the skill set that he has. It comes down to how how is he able to learn that playbook, and that's what's really holding him back. So. I don't think it's unreasonable to say they're weakened at least slightly when you consider that Marshall was far and away their th- number three quarterback. Now, to your point, you if you're a fan, you, you hope you don't have to see your number three quarterback, but they've got good depth at one and two. It does open a window of opportunity, though, when fall camp gets here.
0: It definitely does. Um, let's Let's start with quarterback because I feel like that's the most – clear, one of the most clear positions and the most clear uh, pecking order in terms of the offensive depth chart. Um, I think all of us would agree. Tanner Mordecai is number one, right, Jesse? I think that is a fair assessment. And Braden Locke is number two. Yep. Who would
1: be the third quarterback right now if if, if they needed it? I'd have to go Miles. Um, strictly based on some of the reps that we saw. and It's not like there was... A, I think when Marshall got in there, And that spring scrimmage that was open to the public was a good example. He led a scoring drive. He threw a touchdown pass. Yes, it was coming against the number threes on defense, but those are the guys that they're putting out there. I don't necessarily know that we saw big plays for Miles, but again, on Phil Longo's whiteboard, knowledge means reps. And I think Miles would be ahead of Nick in that regard. So as of now, I would put him at number three, but nothing is set in stone uh, in terms of the number three. I, mean, I think it's very clear that the one and two are are fairly set in stone at this point.
0: Yeah, for sure. The, the one other guy in the room, obviously is Cole, the crew who did not take part in any, well, barely any of spring ball. He was in a sling to start it and we never got really got the chance to see much of him at all. Are you intrigued at all by Cole, the crew?
1: Absolutely. It doesn't mean that we're going to see him on the field anytime soon, but I liked his tape. I, I've obviously, uh, if, if you watch it, there's sort of that, gunslinger type of quarterbacking where he's mobile. He can escape pocket pressure and he can make something out of nothing. And that's always fun to watch, but he didn't have an opportunity to get the reps on the field, even if he was in the classroom with the rest of the quarterbacks. And we know how valuable that can be anywhere, but especially when you're trying to learn a new offense like this one. So I'm interested to see what it's like when he's healthy enough to at least compete and see where things go from there. At running back, it's also clear at the top with the one and two guys, Braylon Allen, Ches Malusi. Yeah, we knew this coming in. Uh, nothing that happened in the spring, I think, dissuaded anyone's opinion of those guys. In fact, it's I'm really impressed with both those guys. It's not as though we saw them get live tackled a ton, especially Braylon, nor should he have been this spring. But I think they have we're going to see more versatility from them. We saw some combinations where they're both on the field at the same time, which is not something we've traditionally seen from those two. I think they're going to be used as pass catchers out of the backfield. They, The longest talked all the time about getting the ball to your athletes in space. And when it's the running backs, you throw the ball, dump it off into the flat and then let them do work. So those two guys, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say they've got an opportunity to be one of, if not the best running back tandems in the country. I think we're all just curious to see what exactly that means in terms of how the workload is shared, and how often they get the ball.
0: Behind them is is where the question arises, and we didn't get a ton of answers this spring because Jackson Aker was hurt for much of it, uh, or at least not. I shouldn't say that. He was dinged up for much of it and was in a yellow uh, non-contact jersey for a lot of it, so we didn't really get to see him. Katie Accomeli flashed at the beginning of spring and then kind of fell off, and I think he was a little dinged up as well. The guy that obviously I think... At the end of spring, and again, it's
1: because I don't think Jackson Aker was completely healthy. Grover Bordelotti got more reps than almost anybody. He did. If I had to pick the number three at this stage, I'm still inclined to go with Jackson Aker because of the fact that he's very versatile. He got significant snaps last season at fullback. And when you listen to Phil Longo talk about these guys, one of the things that caught my eye that caught my attention when he was talking about Jackson is he believes he has a chance to be fairly special. uh, th- th- that he's a, a hybrid type of player. He can do a little bit of everything, line back and f- line up at fullback, running back, could be a tight end. I think he's going to emerge, but Giacomelli stated his case, particularly early. He's got good athleticism. We saw the speed numbers even before spring. He's very physical. So he put himself in in good position and it's still open, at least based on what we saw in the spring for the number three running back spot. And Whereas when we're talking about a number three quarterback, Hey, you're probably not going to see him on the field. I think there will be some opportunities for a number three running back. Uh, probably not a ton as long as Chez and Braylon are healthy, but it's a little bit different at running back. Does Nate white have any chance? Well, I'm not going to say he has no chance because it'd be different if you had somebody who absolutely took control of the number three spot. Um, look, he's, The only guy they offered a scholarship to from the state in 2023 had a really good senior year, 1,345 yards rushing and 26 touchdowns. But it's also asking a lot of a true freshman in a crowded room in fall camp to make a move. Not impossible, but it takes someone really special. We saw Jonathan Taylor be able to do that not too long ago. Um, I'm not going to rule it out, but he's going to have to come here and do a lot of damage in a very short period of time because fall camp is not like spring ball. You get a little bit of time, but they ramp up very quickly and and they don't have much time to sort of dilly dally and give everybody reps like they do in the spring. They got to get ready for the season opener September 2nd against Buffalo. Wide receiver is absolutely loaded. Yes. I think that's fair to say,
0: but I also think the top six are kind of etched into, I don't want to say stone, but maybe you're writing that with, uh, with Penn and maybe you can, Cross it out later because I think the top six are are pretty clear and I maybe you maybe you agree with that. Maybe
1: you don't. I think it's the erasable kind of pen. Okay, Um, all right. Yeah, well, we have a pretty good idea based on spring ball, what the top three look like. And it was not the top three that I envisioned. I don't think anybody really envisioned this this exact top three when spring ball started. But by the end, we had. Chimray Deacon, C.J. Williams on the outside. Will Pauling had emerged as the number one slot corner. And really, they were rotating five by the end. So Keontis Lewis, who started out with the ones, was rotating in with the ones. And Skylar Bell was rotating with Pauling. To me, it's the wild card here is Bryson Green because what he's done on the field is notable. He came from Oklahoma State, was the second leading receiver. He caught 36 passes for 584 yards. He was first on the team with five touchdown catches. So, unlike some of these guys that Wisconsin brought in, he is a proven commodity. It's just that he was dealing with off-season shoulder surgery. And so we didn't see him participate in team drills. And if he had, maybe he'd be with the ones. I sort of uh I wasn't willing to just stick him up there having not seen him take a single team rep, but I have him listed with the twos. Just I think Bryson, Keontes, and Skyler, based on what we know, what we've seen, would be the two deep. But where it's really interesting is there's legitimately three other guys, at least I think who could be contributors. And I not I'm not saying we're talking stars, first team, all big 10, but just given the fact that we know Mike Brown, the receivers coach wanted to have a six player rotation, the offense totally different from anything Wisconsin's ever run. It really focuses on having a bunch of different wide receivers so they don't get worn down. And so they wear out the defense. And we saw flashes from Denny Anthony had a 75 yard touchdown catch Tommy McIntosh really came on strong late. I think Quincy Burroughs, maybe one of the more underrated wide receivers in the group. And even Chris Brooks Jr. had two of the best catches we saw in the first week before he got hurt. So there is a lot of talent right there. And, and we haven't even mentioned Tretch Kekahuna, who I think is going to end up being a, a really solid piece as a potential slot receiver that they were able to flip after he decommitted from Wisconsin, committed to Arizona, and then ultimately picked Wisconsin. So to me, I don't think it's a stretch to say that this is the deepest and most talented wide receiver room Wisconsin is maybe ever had that certainly sounds like hyperbole at the same time. They've never run an offense like this.
0: Is there any of those guys that is outside the top six that you think could jump into the top six and maybe push somebody
1: else out? It's really hard to say. I don't see, I mean, Vinny, they put on the outside and in the slot. Um, you know, they've got some bigger body guys on the outside. I feel like Will and Skylar are pretty firmly established as slot guys. I do wonder about Quincy Burroughs and Tommy McIntosh in particular. Like, you, you know, I've been talking up McIntosh since he was a recruit. He's six foot five. Like they don't have wide receivers with that kind of build. And I know people were wondering, well, with that body, is he going to be a tight end? He is a wide receiver and, and his frame allows him to make plays on smaller DBs. He had... There's a great catch that I remember. um, I think it was on Jonas Duclona who had an incredible spring in his own right. But he's 5'10". McIntosh has six inches in him. He was just able to basically clear him out and go up and catch a ball. And maybe that can give him an advantage. So, I mean, to me, Quincy and Tommy have an opportunity. But um, I don't know how you get everybody the ball, eight or nine guys.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Tight end, ton of questions still going into spring or uh, going into fall camp, right? Because we have not seen Clay Cundiff. since the Ohio State game last September so he did not take part in any of uh team drills in spring was essentially a a watcher throughout you have him still listed as your starter at tight end um and then Jack
1: Pugh is at the backup what do you how do you see that how do you think that entire thing plays out so and i mentioned this in my projection that tight end is to me for me was the most difficult position group to project because It was so wide open in the spring and and I know we've discussed and you've mentioned Riley Nowakowski by the end looked like he could be a starter, but they also had four guys that are in first team reps during various portions of practice. You had Nowakowski, Jack Pugh, Jack Eschenbach, Hayden Rucci, and Eschenbach and Rucci were with the twos during the open scrimmage. But even in the last practice, I think Rucci got some one reps and so did Pugh and Nowakowski. I'm going with Cundiff because of, the fact that he he was a starter last year, and I think he fits the mold of what Phil Longa would be looking for in terms of that hybrid ability. He's he's physical enough to be a good blocker, but we he is he is the one who has put on film his downfield catching ability and his playmaking ability, even though it's just kind of been in spurts. He caught a couple touchdown passes in that Washington state game. Obviously, also had, you know, a, a late fumble that he would like to have back. But I picked him even though I think it's wide open. And I don't even know if these, having a specific starter matters all that much in this offense because, and Riley Nokowski talked about this too. He thinks there are going to be three or four tight ends that contribute. And I think what we saw at North Carolina last season is a good example of this when Longo was there that, and he's, he's mentioned this. He had three good tight ends. You look at the snap counts and this is from pro football focus. His top three tight ends played 361 snaps. 397 snaps, and 488 snaps. And they were all big-time contributors in that offense. And I see something similar with with this tight end group. I I don't know what kind of big playability that entire group is going to have, but I just think the the wealth will be spread. And I put Pew as my backup, and that's no knock to Nowakowski. I mean, I, I certainly think he'll be a contributor. Again, I think like Cundiff, to me, Pew has that build of somebody who can do a little bit of everything. And he was one of the to me, one of those people whose whose stock was boosted the most from spring practice, and and that's another story that I'll be working on for later this week on the athletic.
0: I I think tight end is as interesting of a position for fall camp as anything. So I I totally agree with you. It's very very difficult, as you said. I think Riley Nokowski, You don't put him on scholarship for nothing, right? Yeah. Like you're like you. you if he's going to play a role. More so than what we've seen in the past from them, you're not you don't put the guy on scholarship unless that's gonna be the case. That's kind of how I view that. But uh, there are so many bodies there and so much uncertainty there of how it's all gonna look in the fall. But um, I'm excited to see how it goes. Offensive line, it felt like several positions were uh, set, and now I'm gonna say this, for sure, set in stone. And then there are some that are still a little bit uncertain. And that was one of Luke Fickle's biggest questions coming out of spring was how exactly that that front five is going to look. How do you see it?
1: I don't consider this a cop-out, but I, maybe it is that I I went with who are the five that opened spring ball. Uh, so I've got Jack Nelson at left tackle, Tanner Bordellini at left guard, Jake Renfro at center, Michael Fertney at right guard, and then Riley Malman at right tackle. Some of those certainly appear to be. Uh, As you said, set in stone, the tackles, absolutely in my mind. Jack and Riley weren't really challenged in that capacity. If Renfro is healthy, he he certainly would appear to be their center. But where it gets interesting is the guard spots. And I think it's because of what Joe Huber did. And we know he's got a ton of versatility. By the end, he was working with the ones at left guard. Obviously, Renfro's injury threw a wrench into, into their plans because it forced Bortolotti to go from guard to center. And then they just had this kind of mishmash. They had Trey Weddick at guard, but he ended up getting replaced by Huber. And then Weddick ended up with the second team at right tackle. I'm still going with the five that they opened with, but won't be surprised if Huber pushes for time. And kind of like we're talking about at tight ends, it's, it's not exactly the same because you need continuity on the line. But we know that Jack McNeil Jr. has talked about wanting to have potentially seven or eight in a rotation, and you might need that with such a high tempo offense, but I went with the five that opened spring ball. And and uh, I'm interested to hear what your five would be, because I imagine it might be different.
0: No, I, I can completely see where you're going with that. I, I'm wondering when Renfro actually got hurt because I thought that he, and again, because he didn't play outside of a little bit at the beginning of last year, got hurt in practice. I don't know exactly when he got hurt because he didn't look great. And I think some of that is trying to you know wash off some of the rust and get back into football, like what it what it takes and all that good stuff. Um, but he didn't look great bef- before he got before he went out with the injury. That said, he was obviously an all conference center at Cincinnati, which it's you know the AAC is not the Big Ten, but they brought him in for a reason. They brought him in because they believe he can be their center. So I, I while I don't think he was great to start, I'm not going to sit here and say that that's not going to be the case or that's going to be the case this fall. So, I could agree with your top 5. I could agree with your top 5. I I
1: still think somehow some way
0: Michael Furtin is not in the starting lineup. Well, um that
1: that's going to be like, really fascinating to watch because he I mean he took every rep with the ones in the spring and and I I agreed with you that I I thought during spring ball if there was one position that was potentially susceptible, it was him simply because he's kind of been in and out of the lineup. I know he started 9 games last year, but there were some other games where they they rotated, and obviously, if Renfro isn't healthy enough by the fall, that, that changes a lot of things. Um, but I don't really even see if, if he's healthy enough. I just don't see him not being in the in the top five. And and we saw that there were a lot of snap issues with the centers, um, and maybe that's sort of even further hammers home the need to have somebody like Renfro. But they've got a lot of depth, and, and there's some other guys that we haven't even necessarily mentioned. I mean, Joe Brunner, for one, and Trey Wedig, those could be, if there is a top eight, they could work their way in as well.
0: Yeah, both those guys, I think, could.
1: It's kind of funny. The Packers went and took a uh,
0: defensive lineman from Iowa with their first pick, and it automatically made me want to go back and see, oh, what did he do against Wisconsin? He he abused Trey Weddick. Like, it wasn't... (laughs) It wasn't good. It wasn't good. Um, I. It was the one play that really stood out against against Iowa last year for the offensive line, which had a horrible game because Iowa's defensive line and, and defensive front were insane. Uh, but yeah, Lucas Van Ness just uh, really dominated. Uh, Trey Wedig when Wedig was at guard, and the problem with Trey Wedig is I, I I think he's versatile versatile enough to play a bunch of spots. I just don't know if he's be very good at all these different spots. So um, that'll be something interesting to to see how it plays out. This fall. All right. So that was the uh, offensive side of the ball going to the defensive side of the ball. We'll start with the defensive line. This uh, as we're recording this, you haven't put it out. You're going to be putting it out Wednesday morning, but people are getting uh, an early look at it, Jesse. So we appreciate that defensive line for you. uh, It could go a number of ways because we've seen different alignments um, much of the spring. How did you break this down?
1: Well, if you listen to the camp, that means you get all the perks and benefits of uh, what the athletic has to offer, right? So, yeah. yeah, So when before the spring, I remember putting one of these out, and just I think I had twelve starters on there because I was Mm. like, I don't know, I don't know what defense they're going to run, but here are the people I think could be. I think based on what we've seen, because we know they're going to be five DBs, sometimes six. I have two starters on the D line. Um, I went with Isaiah Mullins and Rodis Johnson, but I think from what we saw. Look, James Thompson Jr. is going to get a ton of reps. He rotates in there. And when they do have three on there, Geo uh, I think we'll get the first as, as a nose, but Kurt Neal got uh, opportunity. Like they had a lot of people, but if it's just the two, I went with Mullins and Johnson.
0: Mullins and Johnson. And then behind them, obviously, uh, would be James Thompson, Thompson Jr. Jr.
1: And, and I put Paez And Paez.
0: Yeah, again, I we know in the dollar packages in, when they were going with two. When we when they're in their two four five, obviously they're going with two. We saw a little bit of three three five, saw a little bit of three four, at different times. I think you're right with Piaz being the nose tackle, uh, at least to start him and Kurt Neal. I think probably are that's still a battle and will be a battle, and we'll, and we'll see if Jamel Howard can enter his name into that uh, as a, as another big body. But the the playing time for I think there's going to be a lot of rotating. Among yes. the defensive line, I just I don't think that when you sit here and say yeah this guy's first team this guy's second team I don't think it's going to matter. So it's it is a tough thing to do in putting together a depth chart. But uh, the guys that made plays last year are are going to be out there. Who would you be your third defensive end though, right? Or excuse me, the fourth defensive end because you have the right. top three with Mullins and Pia's or excuse me, Mullins and Johnson and Thompson.
1: Yeah. Well. I I totally agree with you that I think there's going to be a rotation. And even those three guys that you just mentioned, and Mullins certainly was hurt for a lot of the year, but they had 57 tackles, 14 tackles for a loss. I think they're going to be more production from them. The fourth D end, um, it's tough because, I mean, Ben Barton and Cade McDonald got reps um, at various stages. My wild card here, much like we're talking about wide receivers with Bryson Green, is what happens when Darian Varner is healthy. He suffered a foot injury at Temple. Missed the last two games, didn't participate at all this spring, had the boot on his foot. But when Luke Fickle was asked about him, he talked about the fact that he's got this explosiveness and this dynamic playmaking ability that can be a little bit different for the group. He was an all-conference, just like Renfro, all-conference and first team in the American Athletic Conference. I think he had, what, 12 and a half uh, tackles for loss and seven and a half sacks, something like that. So if he's healthy, I think he's in there but otherwise I think it's sort of a little bit up for grabs now.
0: It is. It is. I I feel kind of same. that, you know how there's different lineups, along the defensive line, and and there's going to be rotating and just depending on the formation and, and the, uh, this, the scheme that they're running outside linebackers, the same way. Mm -hmm. I I don't know how you did it. Um, how, how did you break this down? Because as I said, two, four, five, three, four, (laughs) right. Um, you know, three, three, five, the dollar package. You're like, how do you, how do you break that down?
1: I guess I went more two, four, five, just because I. It's easy. Well, it's like, like. I'm just messing with you. I don't know how, what percentage of snaps are going to be the dollar package. And if they do, then there'd be one outside linebacker. So I, I put two outside linebackers and explained that there's going to be a bunch of different combinations. And it depends on what package the badgers are using. When I have two, I went with gets and Peterson. Um, even though we saw. Like Jeff Pietrowski uh, by the end was, and, and CJ gets was hurt. So it's like tough to know, but he was getting some one reps. My ones were gets and Peterson. My twos were Pietrowski and bowlers, but I also fully understand that Caden Johnson is going to be in the mix. Um, and uh, I don't know. I don't know how fluid it is coming out of spring and what Matt Mitchell thinks, but like, it just depends. Cause it, the one in that dollar would seem to be Getz. Um, can kind of stand up uh, on yep. the line next to the defensive lineman, but Bowler's got a lot of those opportunities with Getz hurt. And pietrowski I think, could do like pietrowski and Peterson, I feel like are pretty versatile and they can do a little bit of everything. And And Mitchell even said Peterson was being asked to, he had more on his plate than any other outside linebacker, it was the boundary side, but they're having him do a lot. So I don't know. It's kind of hard because I don't even know how many snaps where we actually saw Getz and Peterson together. There were some instances where Peterson was with the twos because that was the, um, package that he would be utilized in
0: yeah i thought as the spring went on they used peterson less and less in that dollar package mm-hmm. as the uh as the guy off the line um it felt like kaden johnson was getting used more there obviously the, the number one in that situation would be hunter wooler right so at different i shouldn't say that at different parts of spring was hunter Waller. and i think when they end up doing this in season he's going to be the guy there as that extra outside linebacker and then you know, Caden Johnson and, and maybe Daryl Peterson, but Daryl Peterson, I thought was, I don't want to say limited to it, but uh, was pretty much focused when it was the two, four, five. And he was one of the outside guys Um, based on what I saw. Again, I, they, they have a number of bodies there and a bunch of guys that can play different spots, just depending on which scheme that they're throwing at an offense on a particular play or a particular series or a particular game. Cause I think it's going to, Changes as the season goes on, Changes the game goes on. It's just uh, the the ability that they have with some of the different bodies they have. And, and the outside linebacker room plays such a huge role in that.
1: They also all sort of do something a little bit different. Yep. And Piotrowski, I think, the um, Michigan State transfer, he may end up quietly being one of the better portal pickups that Wisconsin had this offseason. When he was healthy two seasons ago, and he played defensive end for Michigan State, but he was second on the team with five and a half sacks, he missed about eight practices because he was uh, he had mono. So we didn't get the chance to see everything that he had. But by the end, I felt like he was really starting to emerge and make some plays. And so it is very intriguing, um, that four or five-man combo that they have and and how they utilize them all.
0: And then the inside linebacker job, or the inside linebacker spot, is another one that's interesting to me, because we saw all three top inside linebackers on the field at once as well at different times in the spring, with it being... Jake Chaney and Jordan Turner and Moomajang Meta. What does your depth chart look like there? Because I think those are obviously the top
1: three and then probably take grass, right? Yeah, my starters are Muma and Jordan, just like it was last season. And then the backups are Chaney and, and grass. But that is one of the unique wrinkles that Wisconsin threw in during the spring was that they would have that three inside linebacker look. And it was Muma, Jordan and Jake. And Fickle talked about wanting to have the best 11 out there, and this came at a time, I think, when Travion Blaylock was out with an illness, and so they they were just using some different combinations. I think Jake Cheney just uh, – Mike Trestle said it best. He is a one. He, he is a starter. And he, he said, uh, how can he be – How you ask, how can he be a starter when there are already two, but – you, you could see in the spring his playmaking ability. It just so happens that they have two really good guys who were very productive last season, but all three of those guys are going to get a ton of reps, and sometimes it'll be together.
0: Yeah, it's intriguing. It's intriguing. I think he's their best Pat. Well, I, I still think an inside linebacker leads his team in sacks, and I think it very well could be Jake Cheney. But I also wouldn't put a pass to either the other two inside linebackers either. The way that they blitz, the ferocity, which with what they get after the quarterback, and the speed that they can get after the quarterback – in a variety of ways um gives i think mike trussell a ton of options and uh exciting options at that but um yeah those three i like those three and then we'll see what happens behind them hopefully they stay healthy and you don't really have to worry about that but um would be brian sanborn probably down the line and and Mm -hmm. who else
1: yeah brian sanborn was probably next in line um we saw like when we would get to the threes, there were some combinations of Garrison Saladay and Tyler Janzy. and janzy has got, Ooh, he's put together for a true freshman, man. Um, <laughs> he made a handful of plays and the chances that he got, he might be a little bit away from getting on the field. But if you're looking for a young guy that we haven't talked much about this spring, that down the road could be pretty big time player for them. It'd be Janzy, Yeah,
0: for sure. All right. At corner, we know they're top three. This is something that could very well change, however. Uh, as Wisconsin continues to pursue guys in the portal, they continue to offer guys. Other uh, guys continue to commit uh, elsewhere. So but they are they are still obviously hot after a cornerback, but the top two on the outside, pretty clear, Ricardo Hallman and Alexander Smith. We know Jason uh, Matry, who did not take part in the last two practices of spring, um, is your is your slot. And then behind them, I think it really will depend on who, if any, they bring in from the outside. I mean, as is Jones, DeClona, Jace Arnold, and Almond Williams would be your second teamers at this point. And obviously, Max Loafy was hurt much of the spring. We'll see if he's able to force his way in there at, in the slot. But it's those six, and then uh, a lot to be desired there. As uh, they bring in two more guys as part of the freshman class, and Amari Snowden and uh, AJ Tisdale. But other than that, they don't really have a ton of bodies there.
1: Paul Haynes talked about the fact that if you look at the room, and this was before they had some guys transfer out, you had this experience at the top and then essentially had no experience. And that's part of why they're looking for transfers is to have some of that middle ground. I think it'd be very challenging to have somebody come in and overtake one of those top three, not saying it's absolutely impossible, depending on the quality, but they got to be able to utilize more than three DBs. We know how much Jim Leonard liked to rotate, liked to rotate. And I imagine that Mike Tressel and his staff will too. But it is very fluid because, to your point, they're offering guys and people are committing elsewhere, and they're still going after. and They need it, is the thing. If they're, that's one of the biggest questions for me out of spring ball, and we talked about this last week: is what do they do with cornerback? Because Avion Jones and Corey Lyde both transferred out. Al Ashwood the third transferred out as well. No, he wasn't in spring, but he had anticipated coming back in the summer. They just need depth, and they could use some quality. You're asking an awful lot of some very young players, which is something Fickle said too. We may have to have some of those young guys grow up very quickly. As impressed as I was, particularly with Jonas DuClono, but also Jace Arnold, you, you would probably feel a little bit better if you had some experience there. I am I would say I'm probably most intrigued by Amari Snowden. There aren't very many 6'3 corners that come in here. Four-star DB, who's an amazing baseball player, by the way. But you got to add something there. And that's why Wisconsin is continuing to evaluate players from the portal at this position
0: yep and again it's not the easiest place to add when you look at the starters and you say can will i be a starter well maybe not but you're gonna probably you have a chance to probably play a bunch if it was jim leonard i think it'd be even more because we know how much he enjoyed rotating guys but it's just really tough to ask a guy who wants that that's good enough to play and good enough to be on this team and not being a guy that's guaranteed a starting spot like those are it, i think that's a you're trying you're trying to thread a very small hole uh of type those type of players but well what well, so you
1: can say what you can say is two of these three guys are sixty year seniors so and again everybody's got their own agenda and what they want out of, their, out of their time in college and i can't fault them for it but you realistically you could come in you could get a ton of reps as a reserve and then immediately be a start of the next season if you're good enough. Now, nobody wants to wait, I assume. But if you've got a few years left, it's not the worst spot to be in. I get that, but they
0: also just brought in four corners in their 2023 yep. class. They did. Guys, guys that they recruited and liked, uh, especially uh, Declona and Amari Snowden, guys that they were able to bring from Cincinnati with them. So
1: you're also competing against that. You absolutely right. are. It's going to be competition anywhere you go, but I'm just saying if there's a pitch that hypothetically, if you've already got college experience and you're confident in yourself, there's a window there, but it it can be a tough sell. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh,
0: safety. Also very loaded, very loaded group. Go ahead and break down your two
1: deep. I went with Travion Blaylock and Hunter Waller with the ones and Kamoi Latu and Austin Brown with the twos. Now it was a little bit of a challenge in the spring, blaylock wore the yellow non-contact jersey then he was out with an illness but we much like we were talking about inside linebacker that three safety look uh boy that has a chance to be i think really special for wisconsin with blaylock wooler and latu all on the field at the same time and latu got pretty much all one reps too in the spring um but if you've only got two on the field i think i'd go with blaylock and wooler but they're all going to get a ton and austin brown like i've talked about at various points this spring really impressed me as a young guy who's on the cusp of of breaking through, and by the end, he was uh, working. I think getting some one reps uh, when they had a, a three safety look because Blaylock was out, so it was Woller, Latu, and Brown.
0: I firmly believe that three safety look, whether it's Hunter, whether it's a true three safety look, or it's just Hunter Woller playing in the in that dollar package, mm-hmm. is going to be. I don't want. I don't want to say it's going to be the majority. Eh. you know what? I'm going to say I, I think that that three package, that three safety look, is going to be on the field the majority of the time. I think they're going to have those three guys on the field a ton. And um, in in a variety of ways, not just simply the dollar package, but maybe, uh, you know, having Woller in the slot or Kamoi Latu in the slot guys, because they are fast enough and and good enough in coverage that perhaps they can they can deal with some of the wide receivers or tight ends that are going to be lining up there. But um, you got to get your best players on the field and Kamoi Latu, Hunter Waller, and Travion Blaylock have shown that they are three of their best players. So the more you have them on the field, the better.
1: Yeah, I mean, I wrote they're all essentially starters. It's just a matter of how you want to use them. And I'm I gotta be if I'm Mike Tressel, I feel like I'd be licking my chops about the the talent and the versatility that he has. And he talked about that, too, with taking over for Jim Leonard. He doesn't view it as a negative like, oh, how am I going to fill these shoes? Jim Leonard was a great coach. And what that means is you have really talented players. Um But he said, if you've got players who stink, yeah, you can coach them up, but they're still going to stink. And uh, that's not what Wisconsin has. So a lot of versatility. I, my question for you would be, do you feel better or worse about this defense after having watched them for 15 practices? Better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, without question, I thought they had a a really good spring and I don't know what, where it's hard to project what this defense is going to look like in terms of rankings and some of these big categories, especially with, what the offense is. but boy, they have a, a lot of talent and versatility. Talent and
0: versatility. Always two very good words to describe a defense, and Wisconsin has both of them. Um, Special teams-wise, there's some uncertainty there as well, but uh, at kicker, you're too deep, I assume, has Nathaniel Vakos at the top and Nate Van Zels behind him.
1: That is correct. I think uh, that's the easiest one to pin down at this point. They brought Vakos in on scholarship for a reason, and he showed why on the last day when it was a special teams heavy day, he made seven of eight field goals. I thought he was outstanding, made a 50 yarder close practice, made a bunch of 40 plus yarders. And Van Zels made six of 10, but obviously has that experience being the number one guy last season. And no more Vito Calvaruso. So uh the, the writing had been on the wall for him. He wasn't really part of the kicking competition, but competition. But this is all Bacos.
0: He'll be remembered though. He will be remembered. What was your favorite moment of the Vito Cavaruccio era at Wisconsin.
1: Well, it was, it was brief, but still memorable. I'm going to go with any, <laughs> any indoor practice in the McLean Center when they would kick the field goals on the side where the reporters were watching from the second floor, just rattling the building when they would go through the uprights. Uh, look, he had a lot of power, a lot of leg strength. It was just consistency and not being healthy, and those are really important at any position. Yeah. Certainly a kicker. And doing, it and, not, and doing it when there were people watching. Uh, yes.
0: Also proved to be a bit of an issue for him. <laughs> However, he like Deacon Hill left his mark on the walls inside the McLean. <laughs> literally left his mark. Yes. Yes. Literally. Um, so. All right. Hunter, though. Very. Uh, we know who the guys are, right? It's it's Jack Van Dyke and it's Gavin Myers. But that's there's no way that's those two this fall by themselves. There has to be some added competition there.
1: What I like about Luke Fickle is when you ask him a question, he will give you the answer straight up. Uh, generally, I mean, I think injuries may be a little bit different, but when I asked him after the last spring, what your biggest questions were, the very first thing he went to was punting. They, that was why they had such a special teams heavy day, and I know it's tough and challenging outside in Camp Randall in a cold morning but it wasn't good enough, um, and one day isn't necessarily indicative of, of a kid's skill set. But when you get that big of an opportunity, you have to take advantage. And I don't think either either guy really did. Van Dyke, he's he's got the bigger leg, which we I said last week, but he 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 wasn't consistent enough. I think he I, I was I kept my own stats. It was I think eight punts. He averaged under forty yards. One of them only went seventeen yards. Uh, Myers had a, a better average, but his hang time generally isn't as 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 high, and I think even three of his six punts were were under forty yards. And and uh at the time I put that story together, the transfer portal had eleven scholarship punter or punters who were on scholarship last year in the portal. I I know they're tight on scholarships, but that is such an important position, and if there's somebody out there, they've got to explore it because we've seen how important flipping the field is. Andy Vinovich just set the program record for highest punting average in his career, 44.3 yards. That's significant. You, you got that for three years there and, and you've got to have somebody that you can rely on consistently just like at any position.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, they they'll figure something out. I, I don't imagine those two guys will be their punter come fall, but we'll see. Um, who's your kickoff
1: guy? I went with Van Dyke, although it certainly could be Lom. I mean, when Gavin Lom, Van Dyke's been the kickoff specialist for 22 games over the past three seasons. And I know he was limited last year because of an injury, but he also averaged a career best 63.3 yards per kickoff attempt. And he had 15 touchbacks on 21 kicks, um, which is a far better percentage than Lom who handled the majority of them. I think he had 17 touchbacks on 47 kicks. So I went with Van Dyke, but we did see Lom, I think getting some reps with the ones I, I mean, some of this may depend also on what happens at punter. <laughs> but they've also had you can have a specialist do more than one.
0: Yeah, no, you definitely can. You definitely can.
1: Um, long who's your long snapper? Peter Bowden. Uh, Peter Bowden. You don't hear you don't hear anything about long snappers unless they make a mistake. But he's been there, he's handled the role for the last two years. Last year he was a semifinalist for the Patrick Manley Award, which goes to the best long snapper in college football. So I think that one's pretty easy. What about Holder? Ooh. Don't have it. i Have never done Ooh, holder.
0: Stump, I've never stump, actually posted holder. Stump the temple. That's what we just did. We stumped them. Um, I never do it. <laughs> so I know. So I know. So I just, apologies
1: to all the I'm holders out you. there at Wisconsin over the years. I'm messing with you. Um, Tell me who your holder is, Zach. Have you got? No, this was stump. This was
0: stump Jesse, not stump Zach. Okay. Right. Um. Uh. Your punt returner.
1: I've got Chimray DK because that's what we saw. He was yeah. he was the first guy up. And then I have Will Pauling as the backup and CJ Williams as another guy because those guys would rotate reps. Generally, Pauling was second. We know that they based on what Mitchell said about Fickle's philosophy, they they want to involve more starters. I think it's going to be really interesting to watch how they utilize Chimray because gonna get a lot of offensive reps, but uh he was t- first up on punt and kick return. So I don't know what that's what it looks like out of spring.
0: Yeah, not a fan of it. Not a fan of it. But uh, again, unless he's dynamic, unless he's just truly dynamic, and we mentioned this last week, talked about this last week, where he has had very few opportunities to be that. But unless you're just a ridiculous punt returner, a starter shouldn't be out there, in my opinion. Like unless he's just going to be back there and catching fair catches. Um, but that's kind of my just my feeling. Like I feel like someone gets hurt on special time, special teams every single time a special teams unit is out there. And that's just not true. It's not, it's like no one, usually no one gets hurt at all, but it just leaves them open to big shots. Remember the, the, the shot that CJ Williams got put on them. That was very, very like <laughs> yes. very, very cheap, like very, very cheap. Like that could have been disastrous. Yes. It's just, I don't like the idea of just making some of your best players back there open to huge shots. And we see huge shots all the time. So I mean, how many times did Dean Ingram take huge shots a lot? So, Whatever. They're football players and they obviously uh, and they're football coaches, so they know what they're doing. But um, I wouldn't put him right back there on either team kickoff or or punt.
1: But that's our hot take for we'll the uh, the episode, I think.
0: I think that, yes, everything else is like, no, I feel good about that. That's a good decision. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, oh, no, really? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the yeah, the hottest of takes is uh, Michael Fertney. I don't feel that he's starting uh, the starting guard this fall. And Jim Ray D.K. shouldn't be on kick on, on punt return or kick return. All right. That's why so you're I got here for the, I got, for the hot take award. I got the I got that covered. I got that yeah. covered. I'm not. Yeah, we're not going to go any further than that. I whiffed so badly on so many uh, takes last year that we're not going to we're not going to double down on anything. You uh, didn't have the head coach getting around. fired
1: five games into the season. I had that I on did, my dingo card.
0: I didn't. But I did have Deacon Hill starting at some point at Wisconsin oh in his career. So, yeah, well, it uh, might happen at Iowa wing well he is this he is the number two quarterback there, there i believe yep. so uh, i didn't say what big 10 i i should have said what uh he'll start in the big 10 at some point um Ooh,
1: that would like have been a mo- that would have been money
0: all right before we go there was well, also- kick returner
1: sorry we should do kick returner well,
0: i said kick re- i thought you said Chimray kick returner punt returner
1: well i have two starters at kick returner because that's what they showed oh, that's us right. on thursday that's yeah, uh, something i have not seen before at wisconsin at least from what i can recall they had they had Chimray, D.K., and C.J. Williams with your ones, and then they had Will Pauling and Vinny Anthony with your twos. So could be something you see next season where they've got two returners. Very interesting. Um, would, I suppose, love to hear the the strategy behind behind having two guys back there. But uh, there's some dynamic playmaking ability, and at least on the kick returns, we know that D.K. has shown he's a playmaker because he had the 53-yarder that he brought back in the bowl game. Uh, and Vinny Anthony had one return last season for 22 yards, so – I don't know. Um, Put Vinny Anthony back there every single time. There you go. That solves your problem, and you've got dynamic playmaking ability. Get Chimray out of there. Um,
0: <laughs> it's such a – again, I, I, I've made my feelings known on it. Uh, b- before we go, there is there was some unfortunate news over the weekend. Uh, Marcus Allen, we think, is still part of the team. I assume he's still part of the team at this point. Uh, arrested. Uh, at the Mifflin Street Block Party, have you had you? You didn't go to school here, so you uh, you weren't here, did you? So you never went. Did you know what Mifflin was?
1: Had you uh, heard of what, Mifflin? What, what, the first day that I got the job, yeah. twelve years ago. Yep. Of course not, but it didn't take very long. Monte Ball took care that of that. The Mifflin, <laughs> that a Mifflin incident about ten years ago, eleven years ago. Yes,
0: uh, yeah, so it a lot of those pi- long. a lot of those pictures popped up this week uh, after that <laughs> after this news that Monte getting and in handcuffs getting taken away. Uh, Booker Stanley drenched in blood of another person um, being, being led away. They, but they've gone almost more than a decade without any of those incidents. Uh, So yes. So thank you to Marcus Allen for bringing us back uh, to Mifflin and, and dealing with uh, some, some bad things happening that the police did release some more information. They said that that they said they would, and they did on Monday.
1: Yeah, there was a press conference downtown. um, So, what they said was that Marcus Allen's facing a charge of carrying a concealed weapon because police found a gun on him at the Mifflin Street block party. And what the police captain said was that. um, So he was arrested for an alcohol related violation, and then that search revealed the gun and that gun that he was carrying was stolen. Now, there's no details that have yet been provided on. How who stole it or how Allen had it. But uh, he was arrested and he was out on bail about 45 minutes later. And uh, that's where things stand right now, because Wisconsin released a statement to pretty much everybody that they're aware of the situation and in the process of gathering information. And that was on Sunday. And so then Monday, there was this uh, additional information. But uh, it's I mean, I don't know what more to say about it. Uh, I'll, I think, reserve further comments until more comes out. But uh, it's not. Not a good look for Marcus Allen, and uh, I don't, I don't know what the future holds for him uh, in terms of football. But there's obviously far more serious things going on right now. Does it make sense
0: to you at all to bring a gun to the Mifflin Street block party?
1: Of course it doesn't. It's a terrible. Okay. It, it, uh, it's I mean, what decision. am I supposed to say? It's an no, deci- awful decision.
0: Yeah, decision making skills struggle. I mean, it's one thing to commit to Minnesota. Like that's a horrible decision in itself. Like really, really bad to commit to that guy. Somehow, some way, he made an even worse decision in bringing a gun, a stolen one at that, to uh, to a block party where people are getting wasted, and obviously things happen that isn't po- I mean, nothing good is going to happen from you bringing that. So. Horrible decision, horrible decision on his part. Um, And we'll see how Wisconsin football wants to handle it. It felt like he was a guy that I don't, I mean, you bring, you allow him to come back in. You didn't have to, but you allow him to come back in. He didn't really do anything this spring. He then missed a stretch of practices down the edge. And then this happens again, as you said, you'll, you'll reserve judgment. I won't, I think there's no reason for him to be on this football team. And uh, it kind of felt like he wasn't going to be anyways, But this should probably slam the door on him, assuming everything that we've heard to this point is uh, is accurate. So you go ahead and reserve judgment. I will
1: not. That said, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on? I think we pretty much covered it. Uh, We're only five days out from the last spring practice. And uh, already we've got an entire show of stuff to talk about. So (laughs) this is the beauty of of, uh, covering a major football program. Yes, it is. Uh, obviously, the, the daily episodes
0: have stopped, but we will continue to be doing it. We will continue to do episodes throughout the summer because there's going to be plenty to talk about and really looking forward to doing those shows. And uh can't wait to get back into July. And I'm not going to wish away the summer because uh, no, we earned <laughs> it. I need we, it. Uh, we're, we are going to enjoy the summer and uh, it takes some time, but uh, certainly can't wait to to get to Big Ten Media Days and then into the season in July and August because there's uh A ton of excitement, and we're excited about covering it. So, Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is, Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.